0: Welcome to the podcast at Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, for we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Now, as we've been going through Habakkuk, we've, we've had this question that Habakkuk continues to ask. I mean, uh, he asks it in different ways, and God gives different answers, but we finally kind of come to a resolution here in chapter 3. Habakkuk has been looking at the injustice that was going on, looking at the injustice even in the nation of Judah, and he was asking, God, is, is your law ineffective? Are, are you unable to do anything about this? Are you just going to stand there and watch while your people are acting wicked and not punish them? And God comes and He says, no, I'm going to send the Babylonians and bring punishment upon My own people. Then Habakkuk asks again, God, are You going to let uh, these Babylonians, these Chaldeans, get away with it? Are, Are You who are so pure and so holy... Are you going to allow these wicked people to just get away with it and just keep uh, sacrificing to idols and doing all these things and not punish them as well? And God comes back with a response saying, No, I'm, I'm going to punish them as well. And with that, in fact, they're going to get exactly what they deserve. We see how the just will live by faith, while the, the Chaldeans, the, the Babylonians, they were proud and boastful. Yet in spite of the circumstances, the just would live by faith. Faith that one day, we saw in chapter 2, that one day there would be a day whenever the the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the land as the waters cover the sea. And chapter 2 ended, but the Lord is in His holy temple. Well, well everything looked bad. Well, well, well it looked like evil was going to win. It says the Lord is in his holy temple. He was still sitting on his throne. He's still in control. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Today we look at a prayer of Habakkuk. He's asking for revival. He asks God, he says, "You've done these things in the past. You have worked mightily to save Your people. Lord, bring back those days right now. We want to see revival is what Habakkuk says. Then he describes the glory and the majesty of God. God is like this superhero that comes in. And He is so big and so mighty that the earth trembles before Him. Then finally we see at the end, another quotation from Habakkuk where he is trusting in God that God will do what is right, do what is good. Let's uh, let's read our text from Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to the oath. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and of your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand. And there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushion in affliction, the curtains of the land in Midian, Of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath, was your anger against the rivers of your indignation or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on the deep gave forth from gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows they sped, at the flash of your glint, glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for your for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the and the fields yield no fruit food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread upon my high places. To the choir master with the stringed instruments. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a big, big God. Lord, that You are on Your throne, that You are ruling among the nations of the earth and ruling right here among us. Father, we pray that You would give us ears to hear and eyes to see from Your Word. And Lord, be with me, um, weak, frail, sinner, Help me to speak your word. Help me to be faithful, to be bold, and to apply this word to your people, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Begins by telling us that this chapter is a prayer. It says that the prayer the prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to the Shigian Oath. Now that that word, it's just uh, its taking the Hebrew letters and spelling it out. It's not really an English word there. What is the Shigianoth? Well, it's just probably some kind of a musical notation. Uh, he's telling us um, that basically this is a song. It's, it's written out as a song you might sing. And we see another evidence in the fact that uh, in some of your Bibles, you may see Selah in a couple of places. At the end of verse 3, At the end of verse 9, at the end of verse 13, that's Selah. It's also a musical notation probably. And then at the end, we see again this same kind of thing we see in the Psalms to the choir master with the stringed instruments. So, what we see here, um, Habakkuk is singing a song of prayer to God. verse 2, he begins this prayer... With a plea. He says, O Lord, I have heard the report of You and Your work. O Lord, I do fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He's asking, God, You have worked in the past. You have have done mighty works. I have heard about those things. I have heard how You called Abraham from Egypt from from the Chaldeans I've heard how you uh, saved your people Israel out of Egypt by mighty works by plagues and by them crossing over the Red Sea. I've heard how you've done all these mighty works of the judges and, and Samson and how he pushed the temple or the, the um, pillars apart and just crushed the Philistines. I've heard how you've worked in the past, Lord, revive. Those works again. We want to see the way you've worked in the past happen in our days. Shouldn't that be our prayer too? We hear about the stories about how God has worked in the past, both in the Scriptures and even in church history, of how God has uh, done miraculous things about maybe the Great Awakenings in our own country, the First and Second Great Awakenings in the 17 and 1800s. And how, how many, many people were saved and we long to see God do those things in our days. We want to see those things in our days. And that is Habakkuk's prayer. Revive it again. Revive what you have done in the past. We want to see it again. And then he says, in wrath remember mercy. You know, Habakkuk, he wants to see justice done. He wants you know, the wicked to be punished. But he knows his own people, the Jewish people, they deserve punishment as well. That's what he was talking about in chapter 1. But he wants mercy to be remembered. He wants mercy to be remembered. Not only, I think, for selfish reasons. We all want mercy. When, when, when we know judgment is coming, we all want mercy. But there's another reason, I think, that, that Habakkuk wants God to remember mercy in the midst of wrath. And that is for the sake of that seed. That seed of the woman who would one day come. God was going to come and He was going to punish His people, but He would save a remnant. A remnant of people to carry on that seed so that a coming Messiah would one day be here to sit on David's throne forever. So whenever Habakkuk says, in wrath, remember mercy, he knows God is going to come and he is going to judge his people. He's going to send the Babylonians upon them and there is going to be massive destruction, but he, he clings to this hope. God will be merciful for the sake of his anointed one, the Messiah. Then, in this prayer, in this song, he, he begins to describe God. You know, we can't see God. The Bible tells us if anybody would see God, no one can see God and live. We would be struck dead just to see Him. Whenever Moses went and visited with God on Mount Sinai, he had to stand facing the opposite direction and the Lord walked past him so that he could just see the back, according to what the Scripture says. And his face shone brightly. You know, if Moses saw God face to face, full on, he would have been struck dead. It's the same case with any of us. Yet here, we have this description of God in all of His splendor and all of His... Majesty. It says God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Now what are those places? Those were places in the south. Teman was in Edom. Mount Paran was one of the places they went through during the wilderness wanderings. And Habakkuk here, he's talking about the things that God did in the past. God came from the the south lands as God was bringing His people up from the Red Sea and into the land. God came. Came from that from the south in that time, and he's saying God's going to come that way again. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. And talking here about the heavens and the earth, we see the heavens in one line, the earth in another line, and how God's splendor and his majesty fill the whole earth. His praise—he's just filled. The whole universe, the heavens and the earth, with his praise and with his splendor. Verse four: His brightness is like the light. Rays flash from his hand. There, there he veils his power. He's like he's so big, and he's like holding lightning bolts. His these lightning bolts just flashing in his hand. He's that's how big. This, this uh, prayer says that God is raised, just flashing from His hands. And there He veiled His power. It's just, when we see a lightning bolt, it's like just veiled what God's power is. It's only just a glimpse. It's behind a veil, what we can see through that veil. Verse 5, Before Him went pestilence, and a plague followed at his heels. But what is this about? You know, we think of pestilence, we think of disease, we think of these things that are out of our control, these, these diseases that, you know, we get so scared when we saw things like, um, oh, what was that disease a few years ago in Africa? Ebola, wasn't it? Ebola. People were so afraid. And we were afraid to let anybody come into our country because even though we are advanced, we've got all kinds of science, we've got all kinds of medicine, yet we don't have power over diseases like pestilence and and plagues that God can just send and we are powerless. Yet these pestilence and disease, these plagues, God has those in control. And the way it describes it here, Pestilence walks in front of him and a plague walks at his heels. It's almost as like they're his pets. They're his dogs. You've got one dog running out in front of him called Pestilence. You've got another one called Plague just napping at his heels as he walks. God is so big. These things that are big and scary and out of control that for us, that we think are so dangerous, yet to God, it's just a little puppy yapping at his heels. God is so big and so majestic. Verse 6, He stood and measured the earth. That, that uh, in the Hebrew, there's uh, some question about what that word should be. Some say measured. Other translations may say shook. Um, it seems to make sense to me to say shook. He stood and the earth shook. But it makes sense the other way. He's so big that all He has to do is stand in one place and He can measure the whole earth. Either way, it's just talking about how great and big God is. He looked and shook the nations. Just a look. Just His look. You know, sometimes whenever um, my kids get in trouble, I just have to give them a look and they know what to do. Whenever I get in trouble, my wife just has to give me a look, and I know what to do. But God, He just gives a look, and all the nations tremble. He just gives a look. Verse uh, still in verse six, "The eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low. His way his were the everlasting ways. This is more talking about how God, you know, all just his look, just standing there, and the mountains quake before him. These big mountains. We we can't imagine anything bigger than a mountain, can we? Yet those even quake before him. They're afraid of him, they go running. Verse 7 I saw the tents of Cushion. In affliction, the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. These peoples, their their tents, their dwellings, all of those things just trembled because they knew God was coming in judgment. Then it begins to describe this war between God and the forces of nature. Was it was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? And pictures God, this big God, riding on a horse. Kind of like what we see in Revelation where Jesus comes riding on a white horse one day on a chariot of salvation. Verse 9 you stripped your, the sheath from your bow, calling it for many arrows. He just pulls that bow out. He has many arrows to put in it. And as he shoots those arrows, the earth is split with rivers. God has control over the landscape. Whenever he created the world, he just, it was like shooting some arrows, and the rivers just parted. He is so big. He is so majestic. The mountains saw you and writhed. They shook. They were afraid at the sight of God Almighty. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. When the oceans, the deepest part of the oceans, when they saw God coming, it gave forth its voice. Or it groaned. And sometimes whenever you're... Uh, whenever you think of the ocean, you've got the roaring and the raging of the sea, and it's described as this groan because it sees the Lord Almighty. The waves, it's like the hands being put up, and the sea just surrenders at the sovereignty of God. Verse 11, the sun and the moon stood still in their place. You know, we're getting ready tomorrow for a major event, right? Right? Everybody's ready to see the eclipse. But, you know, we know what causes an eclipse. We know that it's when the earth, uh, you know, whenever the moon comes between the earth and the sun and it blocks it out just perfectly. Uh, I was listening to an unbelieving scientist uh, talk yesterday about how, how this eclipse, just the earth is the only planet in our solar system that is set up to where we can have a, an eclipse like the one we have. You look at all the other planets, the earth is, uh, the moon is, um, the earth is 400 times bigger than the moon, is what I understand. And the, the, um, the distance between the moon and the sun is like 400 times bigger than the distance between the sun and the earth. And so it works perfectly that the earth uh, can have a, an eclipse like the one we're going to have tomorrow that perfectly blots out the sun and you get this glow all around it. But no other planet in our solar system has that because the moons aren't the right size or, or whatever. No, no other planet in our entire solar system has that. Now, that's something we know what causes it. But think about this. The sun and the moon stood still. Still. This is something that only that 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 is not something that has some kind of a natural cause or natural explanation. We read in Judges about a day whenever the sun did stand still; that was a miracle of God. And Habakkuk here is describing the sun standing, sun and the moon standing still, as if they are afraid because they see the Lord, and they not even the sun and the moon fear the Lord. They stay in their place. While they stay in their place, refuse to shine, the flash of the Lord's glittering spear is enough that He can continue the battle. You march through the earth in fury. You thresh the nations in anger. Or or it's like He's stomping around on the earth. The nations, these wicked peoples like the Babylonians, He just marches and stomps right through. He tramples over them in anger. That's not the way we like to think about God, is it? But He is a just God. He is big. And He does have wrath. Finally, verse 13. This is one of my favorite parts in this chapter. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Now, whenever it says, you went out for the salvation of your people, we can think about maybe whenever he went and he rescued his people from Egypt. Right? But then he follows this up again with for the sake of... Um, your, for the salvation of your anointed. Now, the anointed—that the Hebrew word for your anointed—is the word for Messiah. For the sake, for the salvation of your Messiah. Now, again, we're kind of thinking about Jesus here. Why did God come and save His people? Why did He come and and deliver them for the sake of? His anointed. For the fact that He was preserving a people, the Jewish people, so that that seed of the woman, that seed of Abraham, that son of David who would sit on the throne forever, would one day come. When we look at this verse in Habakkuk, this is where I see Jesus. He works for His people for the sake of His own anointed. Why can we trust God's promises? Why can we pro- trust that they are true, that He will be faithful to us? Because He will not let down His anointed one. He will not let down His anointed one. Verse 13, Then it says, You crush the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Another translation I see, it's from tail to neck. You kind of think maybe the picture of like a dragon or a serpent. And what does it say about his head? He was crushed. Thinking again back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, whenever God promised that one day there would be a Messiah who would come and crush the serpent's head. We look at Habakkuk here. I think we see Jesus, this promise of a Messiah who is going to come and He would crush the serpent's head. He would destroy all of His own enemies and all of ours. You pierced with His own arrows the heads of His warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to, to devour the poor in secret. These minions of the serpent, these warriors... They thought they were going to devour the poor and the innocent in secret, but yet God comes and He pierces through their heads. They're not getting away with anything, are they? You trampled the sea with your horses. The surging of many waters. You know, Jesus walked on water. But here we have a picture of God who not only walked on water, but He just rode His horses across the water. Now, that's this description of God, how big and how mighty He is. We, we, I think of that children's song, My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. You know that song? No? You don't? It's, a, it's an old song. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. That's the kind of God we see in Habakkuk. He is big, He is mighty, there is nothing He cannot do. And verse 16, Habakkuk responds to this vision of God that he sees. I hear and my body trembles. Literally, that's my belly shakes. He's almost sick. His belly shakes to see God in His wrath and in His fury. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, he has a response. While he is physically and emotionally shaken by the picture that he sees of this big and mighty God, yet, he will wait. And the word there... For wait is also the word for rest. I will rest for the day of trouble to come on the people who invade us. While things are out of control from Habakkuk's perspective, while it looks like chaos, where it looks like the evil is going to win, Habakkuk sees this vision of God and he knows God is coming and I will sit and I will wait for God to to respond in judgment. Those people who invade us now, they're going to get what they deserve. Then finally, he closes this with a picture of a fig tree and a field. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on its vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herds in the stalls. You get the picture. Nothing is responding the way it should. They're growing crops and they fail. It's quite a gamble to be a farmer, isn't it? You never know what kind of response you're going to get from your crops. Though all of the crops fail, though... You know, your, your, your herds, they get some kind of a sickness and they all die and your, your stables are all empty. Though all that happens, Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though I were to lose all my livelihood, all, my, all of my earthly possessions, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will triumph in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. While tragedy comes, while it might bring despair on some, for those who trust in the Lord, who trust in Jesus, we know there is nothing that can happen to us. Because our trust and our strength is in the Lord. Verse 19, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. Habakkuk here is describing God makes us, His believers, God's people, like a deer. You can see a deer or a mountain goat standing up on a high place, and while it looks like it wouldn't be able to stand, it has a sure footing. It says, God makes me like that. Well, While it all looks difficult, while it all looks chaotic, while it looks like the world is falling apart, God makes me to stand sure-footed. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my deliverer. We will trust in Him. We see Habakkuk's message. We see this song. He, he sings of a big, big God, a mighty God who comes in judgment, yet... He sings of a song of of a God who saves, who is faithful to His promises, who makes His people rejoice. We worship that God. That God who, you know, imagine how chaotic it must have been on the day Jesus was crucified. Jesus, you know, He had lived for three years among His disciples. And, and they knew He was the Messiah. And yet everything seemed to be going wrong. He was arrested. And His disciples were scattered, weren't they? Even Peter, he denied that he even knew Jesus. Everything seemed to be falling apart. And then when Jesus died on the cross, the sun stood still. Not, I mean, it was darkened. It went, it went dark. Kind of like the language we see here in Habakkuk. The curtain ripped from top to bottom. It looked like chaos. But then three days later, He arose again. And His disciples who were looking in faith to Him, who had faith, vindicated. We too look to Jesus. While all things look not so good, while the things in the world look like chaos, while our lives feel like they're falling apart, we know that God is big enough to handle them. That He is on His throne and that He will be faithful to His promises. Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.